Hola! Welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's been a crazy month or so with some incredible podcasts, if I do say so myself, and this week is no different. Thank you so much for your support. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. James, the greater, was one of Jesus Christ's apostles. He fled the Holy Land after Christ's crucifixion and travelled to then Iberia, now Spain, to spread Christianity. He ended up fighting alongside the Spanish in their battles against Muslim invaders. And he was regarded as a great leader, a great fighter. And he later returned to the Holy Land and was martyred, beheaded by Herod. His followers, or so the story goes, took his remains in a stone boat from the Mediterranean up the west coast of Portugal and Spain. The boat came ashore upstream at Padron, and he was ultimately buried, we're told, in the hills of Galicia in northwest Spain. His body was found centuries later, and his Spanish hosts built in his honour the majestic cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, St. James, under a field of stars. And in the 8th century, the Vatican decreed that anyone who walked the way of St. James, a pilgrimage, would be absolved of their sins. They would be entitled to enter heaven unencumbered. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of walking to do. I've taken this particular tack this week because on my desk calendar today is the quote from Nelson Mandela. And he said, I'm not a saint unless you think of a saint as a sinner who keeps on trying. Well, I want to tell you a story. Someone wrote to me last week to say they'd met an amazing woman on the Camino just a few months ago. This woman, they said, is incredible. This woman, they said, is an inspiration. This woman, they said, you have to talk to. And I said, well, I had better talk to her. Dr. Nicole Taylor is on the line from Winston-Salem in North Carolina in the United States. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hola, Dan. It is so wonderful to talk with you. Listen, tell, just before we get into your story, and I, I said before it's a great story, and it is, tell us how you heard about the Camino de Santiago. Well, it's, it's interesting because I actually lived in Europe for some time but had never heard about the Camino de Santiago the whole time that I lived there. And it was around 2012, and I came across the movie The Way, like several of the pilgrims that I met along the Camino de Santiago, And at that time, I wasn't able to even consider walking the Camino, um, but it just resonated with my soul, and it just kind of kept me wanting to learn more about it, and it just seemed like an amazing adventure. Now, you have multiple sclerosis. Yes, I've had it for nine years now, and at the time that I saw the movie, actually had my popcorn bowl propped up on my walker, and I was really struggling for those first two years between the cane and the walker and the scooter to keep up with my two very busy young daughters. So I wonder then, Nicole, and we'll talk about your battle with multiple sclerosis, do you think you were maybe looking for something to make sense of it all? And the Camino perhaps was an opportunity to, to, to provide that insight? I think that's most likely why it resonated with my soul and also some of the messages, I think, in the movie. Um, If you remember, you know, Martin Sheen plays a dad who has this very demanding career, and the son is a little more of a free spirit and an adventurer. And I think I have always been torn between those two people. And when I had to take a break and kind of be trapped in my body, 
Um, I think that I wanted to explore and I wanted to move. And in some ways, I got to walk the Camino through that movie. And it just stuck with me. So what is multiple sclerosis? Well, it's an autoimmune disease. It has the potential to be disabling. It's for me and for most people that I've met with MS, it has a lot of uncertainty because you have these periods where you may do better and then you have these relapses because your body um, has these um, scars in the brain and the central nervous system when the disease is very active. And so there's this level of unpredictability And sometimes you recover from those relapses. I've never fully recovered from any of them, but I have been able to learn to accommodate for them and to build strength in those periods where I don't have active disease. We're simple beings, I think, Nicole, and we (laughs) we want what's best for us. But it's often because anything untoward will impact those we love, that is, those around us. So how did your family and friends respond to your diagnosis? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, I, being a doctor, I've been around patients. So in some ways, I've walked with them through really difficult times in their lives. And I know that it's not fair how disease and illness is allocated out to people. And so I didn't ever really go through this period of... Um, like, why me? But I did feel very afraid of the future for my daughters and not being able to be the mom that I always envisioned being and teaching them everything they needed to know. Um, It was really difficult for um, my parents, of course. I think it's kind of a reverse role where they're kind of taking care of their daughter. And, um, you know, it was the end of my marriage as well. I think it just was a lot to take on. Um, so it, it can be very devastating for a relationship. Yeah. How does MS impact your day-to-day life now? Well, luckily, with new research, I uh, was able to try out one of the newer medications, and it's kind of really stopped me from having those setbacks. And so for the last five years, I've worked really hard in building back muscle. And like at first I had a three-wheel trike that I would ride around, like so I could ride bikes with my daughters. And um, I slowly then started walking. And walking and and biking were so therapeutic for me because they helped me kind of work through the fear and the uncertainty. and, And also I was feeling myself get stronger. So I'm doing much better now. And uh, Two years ago, I decided that I thought I could probably attempt the Camino. Yeah, because you mentioned that you had watched the movie The Way with the popcorn on your walker. So that's quite the journey to be going from a walker to walking uh, nearly 800 kilometres or 500 miles. Tell us about that journey. I think when your life falls apart and you, you lose a lot of the pieces, like you know the career that I that I love taking care of patients, but I've transitioned to teaching and other things. And I think that was therapy um, for me to move forward and and slowly put back the pieces that I wanted to put back in my life and, you know, and, and kind of design my life in a way that was more meaningful to me. 
And the Camino was a great therapy. I would read books about the Camino. I would talk with some of my friends about the Camino. I joined a hiking group to be around like-minded people who understood nature and, and, and the healing power of that. And um, so a lot of ways it, it helped me to have this goal in mind that I could do an attempt. And then, of course, I was really looking forward to the enlightenment that I would receive through the journey. Yeah, and I'm, I'm imagining when you say that the the going outdoors and 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 the the therape- therapeutic nature of of that journey would have been fantastic. Um, just talk about that, the great outdoors. I think that it's it's hard because we're bombarded every day by so many things in our lives. Maybe it's our jobs. You know, for me as a single mom with two very now teenage daughters who are very active. You know, it, it's, a, it's a time where I can take a pause and reflect on, you know, what is important to me and, you know, being around nature and just the woods and, you know, the different landscapes, the challenging hills and, you know, the long valleys. It was just something that I liked doing and I enjoyed going on long, you know, 11 or 12 mile hikes. And I really enjoy just the aspect of preparing for a goal. And so it gave me something to constantly work towards every week and every month. That's a great story. You know, there'll be people wondering um, about, you just mentioned the enlightenment that you were looking forward to experiencing that enlightenment. So uh, are you a spiritual person? I'm extremely spiritual. I have a very strong faith in God. Um, I try to hand over a lot to him, but I, I also find myself trying to control a lot of it yeah. and um, when I need to let it go. And, you know, I thought that you, you never know exactly what's going to happen when you go on the Camino. And I was reading people's stories and, and hearing their journeys, but you're, you're always wondering you know, how will it affect you? Because it's so individual, which I think is the beauty of it. Yeah. So you said you had great expectations in a sense for that enlightenment. Did, did you reach, did you fulfill your expectations? Did it meet your expectations? It did. It did. Um, I think there's something really beautiful about viewing your life from the distance of the Camino. And for me, it was a long ways away in America. I had no idea how often fear was driving me in my life, and I think it came from the uncertainty that I was facing. Because, like, even the Camino, when people would ask, you know, why are you leaving now? You know, why are you doing it at 45? You know, especially with my daughters at home, although they're so incredibly supportive and encouraging, I, a lot of it was I, was I would think, oh, in five years I may not be able to do this. And so I think that was kind of always an underlying theme. Whenever I go on adventures, I journal. And I wanted to journal because someday I may not be able to do these things. And I had no concept how much fear was driving so many decisions in my life. And I I think it was robbing me of all these other wonderful emotions like gratitude and being present in the moment and not, you know, worrying you know, those are, those aren't emotions I really wanted to feel all the time. And I had no idea that they were so present in my daily life. 
You, you mentioned earlier that the Camino resonated with your soul. And I have to admit, I, I kind of cried a little bit when, I, when you said that. I, because in, in 130 plus interviews, no one's ever said that. And it's a, it's a very succinct explanation. It resonated with my soul. That's, that, that's quite... Yeah. When did that dawn on you? When I watched the movie. It was this, this like, fire that I couldn't, I couldn't quench. I couldn't put out. I couldn't put it out of my mind. Like, when I had hard days, the Camino was calling me and in some ways maybe encouraging me, it became like a place that I just knew I had to go. And it wasn't for me that I thought that I'd be healed. It was just this powerful magnetic pool. And it's, and what's tough is it's not gone, even though I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's resonating with my soul. I'll tell you, every week, every week, I'm listening to people's stories going, man, I can't wait to get back there. But, but I wondered then, you had this pull, you, you, you called it a magnetic uh, pull, and you end up on the Camino. What was it like then arriving and walking and realizing at times, oh, I'm actually doing this? Yeah, and I, I do want to backtrack a little bit because it wasn't just me that I was walking for. It was, it is 500 miles, you know, for us in America, we go by miles. But what I found interesting is reading a book, A Million Steps, and there's a, like a million people in, US, in the U.S. who have multiple sclerosis. And if you take a step for each one, you travel 500 miles. And so it became so much more than me and my journey with MS. I, engaged lots of people um, through social media and brought a lot of people who weren't able to take those steps. And so for me, the steps, each one of them had such meaning. And so back to what you were talking about, when I first started in St. Jean, you know, the first step I took for was for myself. And then every step after that was for someone who struggles like I do. Yeah, so let's get to that story because this is where I love this part of the story. Finish MS is your Facebook page, Finish MS, and I'm going to encourage all of my listeners to visit and, and read up on everything you do because you, you're, you're a doctor and an ethiologist, I think, aren't you? And, and you're an, yes, ed- a- yeah, an educator as well? Yes, I teach medical students in anesthesia residence. Yeah, yeah. So there's... That's a lot of responsibility. And despite all of that responsibility, you, you still manage to change people's lives. You're determined to make a difference. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because I'd like to help. <laughs> and many of my listeners would have placed a stone at the Cruz de Ferro and your next level, Nicole Taylor, because <laughs> tell us about the stones you carried. <laughs> So, and I didn't carry them all. I have to, I'm not that strong because I did have a a pack like everybody else that was seven kilograms that had all my stuff in it every single day. But I did have 40 kilograms of Finnish MS awareness stones that were curried by the luggage service. So hang on Um, now. now, 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 (laughs) Just before you go on now, Nicole, you just sort of brushed that over. You had 40 kilograms of painted stones. Yes. 
Finish MS Stones. So just before we go on and talk about the Camino and what happened, tell us about the stones. So these are stones that my daughters and myself and these ladies that are wonderful and come over to my house once a month, the painted ladies painted. And we wanted to place inspirational messages to the pilgrims as they walk their own Camino. And so I had several stones, pretty intricate artwork with uplifting quotes. And I assigned each stone to each day. And some, some days had several, especially the Cruz de Ferro had several of them. And it was just a way for me to spread awareness about MS because on the back it sent them to the Finish MS Facebook page. But I didn't really expect that anyone would, would move, you know, take a look at them or move them. Um, but I just wanted mostly to spread awareness and encourage the pilgrims who needed it along the way. So how many stones did you take that made up 40 kilograms? About 54 stones. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and so where would you leave them? Uh, would you leave them in by the side of the road or in churches or where? Yeah. I would lead them wherever I felt called to kind of lead them. So a lot of times it was way markers or, you know, the, the amazing statues along the way that they had yeah. or the artistic ironwork. I mean, there were so many wonderful places to place them down. And the, the inspirational quotes uh, are painted on the rock and then underneath the Finnish MS Facebook page. Did you then hear from other people who had seen them? So you were walking along yeah. and, yeah, tell us about that. It was interesting because, you know, I'm pretty discreet about it. I, I didn't try to make much of a deal about it. But after a few days, I, I had mentioned to one of the a fellow American that I had met along the way that, you know, I had the stone and I had showed them him one of them. And he's like, oh, I've seen those along, you know, the trail. I had no idea. And slowly but surely, people kind of spread the word about the stones. And some of them appeared on our Facebook page because they're instructed to find posts and hide again. And so some of them did appear on the Facebook page. So it was, it, it was really impactful for some people. And that, that made my journey even more wonderful than it already was. So just tell us about the logistics then. You, you, you had them sent ahead, did you? So, but you couldn't surely have carried even five kilos, could you, of stones? No, I would, I would pick a stone out every single day from the, the bag that was carried ahead to the next ah. place that I was staying. Yeah, oh, so okay. I, there's no way I could carry them. <laughs> no, no, because I was thinking, yeah, that's, yeah, that would be really difficult carrying all those stones. You know, I know that there are people listening who would not know much about multiple sclerosis. Indeed, I don't know much about it, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, and you managed to walk a million steps over 38 days. And it's, I should just point out before I go on while I remember, that's Kurt Kuhn's book, isn't it? A Million Steps that you read. It is, yeah, yes. Yeah. Thank you for helping Kurt, me with Kurt's that. Book. Yeah, yeah. No, I've interviewed Kurt on the on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But you walked a million yes. steps over thirty eight days, and uh, let's talk about the condition because you walked the Camino to not only raise money but also to raise awareness. What are the early mm -hmm. symptoms or the the warning signs of multiple sclerosis? It's really variable depending upon where you get those lesions that I talked about in your brain or your spinal cord. 
And so a lot of it, the symptoms can be variable, which is why sometimes it's difficult to diagnose. Mine were vertigo, and then my left toes wouldn't always come up, which is kind of called foot drop. So sometimes my toes would get caught as I was trying to walk. Um, but mine came on pretty rapidly. I woke up one day and my left side was very heavy and very weak, and that's what sent me to the emergency room. So sometimes it's weakness or numbness in an extremity. Other people have a condition called optic neuritis where they may have a loss of vision in an eye. So it's just depending upon where those specific lesions hit in the brain. Is it genetic? It seems to be more common in families, but no one in my family has it. So it can also not be something that's passed along. It can also be more, you know, variable for a family that didn't have it or sporadic. And what about walking the Camino itself, Nicole? Uh, How far did you walk each day? I averaged about um, 14 miles, so about 24 kilometers maybe. Um, each day, but some days were really long. I think my longest day was uh, 35 kilometers. That was a really long day for me. Yeah, yeah, especially considering the fact that you're walking with the condition. Yeah. And, and did you sleep in albergues? Well, I did. I, with the uncertainty I felt of MS, um, I did decide to be a spreadsheet pilgrim <laughs> and plan. But it also was helpful for me because it kept me feeling like I was getting closer. I enjoy the process of planning. And so I did, I did, I did do a spreadsheet pilgrim. So I knew where I was staying, which also helped me get my rocks moved forward. (laughs) I know. Isn't that funny? Because, you know, um, since I interviewed the Coleman's, um, about three or four weeks ago, they're also American couple. They're on the Camino right now, in actual fact. And they were saying, they were saying, but Dan, we loved the process of, of, Mm -hmm. of planning having a glass of wine each night and saying, oh, which, which section will we plan tonight? And I think that's, yeah. that's terrific, isn't it? That's really a part of the journey in itself. It, it, it was for me. And I think that, you know, no matter how much you plan, there's going to be curveballs and there's going to be things that don't really work out as well as you were hoping. But, you know, I think that's part of the adventure. <laughs> yeah. And how lovely for your daughters to be painting those rocks knowing that they would be placed somewhere along the way by you. I think that's a lovely concept for them to think in ahead as well. Yeah, it was, it, it's hard to be away from your daughters that long, but when I was there, you really see them in a different light. Just how I noticed how independent they were and, and that I didn't need to worry and be fearful. I just needed to be proud of the women that they're becoming and it, that in itself was probably one of the biggest revelations I had is to just be proud and not, you know, they're doing great and they're going to do great. And you can just let that go. Yeah, you can. You know, in the space and time that you found on the Camino, did it give you space and time to get closer to God? Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I have you know gone to church most of my life, and I've I felt God in church, and I've I felt God you know a lot when I'm also hiking. I, I really felt the presence of God on the Camino, deeper than I'd ever experienced. And did you do a lot of praying? 
I did. I did a lot of praying. I went with my best friend, Tom, and, you know, that's, that's, a, that's definitely a special part of our relationship is we do pray. And, you know, I think, but those weren't always the moments I felt the closest to him, to God. It, they were in the simple moments, the least expecting things, the Camino coincidences, which aren't coincidences. Those were the moments that you felt his presence. Like what? Like what kind of coincidence? Okay, I have a great story for you. I met a wonderful lady. Um, we walked several towns together, seeing each other. It seemed like I wouldn't say it was a communal family, but definitely pilgrims we were really close to in our lives would just kind of weave in and out for probably about 100, 150 miles. And um, we ran into her in Osobrero. And she wasn't doing real good, and she had started at the same place as we did at St. John, and she had developed a horrible tendonitis and was really discouraged because she didn't feel that she could finish. She had several really long days ahead and was disappointed about the not obtaining her Compostela. And just talking with her over breakfast, you know, I suggested just take a couple days and reevaluate in Saria. And I wasn't ever sure what happened because, of course, we went on down the, the mountain in a horrible storm, and I knew that she was taking a, a cab forward. Well, Saria for me was a rest day, and so Tom and I headed into Saria against this huge wave of pilgrims leaving, and um, there she was walking. And, you know, we could have easily passed her at any point in time that our times would line up and that particular day, I had this rock, which I wasn't sure where I was going to place it because I'd already been to Saria. And the rock said, she's on a journey that requires her to be fierce. And you hate to give a pilgrim or anything else to carry, right? But I just knew it was meant for her. And I handed it to her and she said, I'm going to place this down on my longest day so you know that I'm still walking and I've never once in my life found my own Finnish MS rock. But there I was at that beautiful stone bridge entering Malide, and there was the rock that I had given her a few days before. And it was just this emotion that I can't explain, but you just know that it's so much bigger than you. And that God is kind of working in all of our lives there. And I saw her in Santiago, and we had a lovely dinner, and she finished. And it's just amazing. Those stories are amazing. That's a great story. Wow. <laughs> wow, how lovely. And you found the rock. Gosh. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so great. <laughs> that's such a great story. You know, uh, you were raising money. Do you know how much you raised by, by walking the Camino? Uh, $45,000. Wow. That's for, <laughs> for, for, for research, right? For research, so that people with MS have more options to medications or that there's you know, more support for their caregivers because, as you know, it's, it's a tough disease on everyone, as you mentioned earlier, and so people need support. So it was really important for me to, to help and for my daughters to contribute to making this easier for people and hopefully gone one day. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I, I should ask, if, I, if you don't mind, how old are you? I'm 45. Right. Years young. 45 years young, <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I'm, you live in Winston-Salem. Now, from somebody I in Sydney, Sydney, Australia, Winston-Salem is like the other side. It's, it's so far from here. It's so, it's, you're, you're living in yesterday, and yeah, I am. Right? And so I thought. So uh, how is tomorrow, Dan? Yeah, it's it's beautiful, just beautiful. Thank you. But let me tell you, at the, when I when I googled it to find out what time it was there, this is when I was doing my research a couple of days ago. It came up the dash, and I said, "What's the dash?" And in 2017, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal ranked Winston Salem the second in their list of the most livable downtowns in America. What's so special about Winston-Salem? I think it's a quaint little city. It's, we're not very big. We're about 270,000 people. And I think it's just still that small town appeal with some small um, amenities that are kind of city-like. And, yeah, I think it's very livable. It's not an expensive place to live. The seasons are great because we have a little bit of winter, we have a beautiful fall and spring, and then summer can be a little rough this time of year, pretty hot and pretty humid. But yeah, it's, it's a very livable city. I love that you are going through this very difficult time and you have in your voice a great positive uh, tone in your voice. Like listening to you, 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 you wouldn't think you're somebody who's, who's doing it tough. How do you keep yourself motivated? Hmm. Um, I think a lot of it just goes back to the fact that I've always loved taking care of patients. And then when I couldn't take care of patients, I walked with medical students on their journey and helped them figure out what medical specialty to do. And then on the Camino, that was wonderful because I got to hear people's stories, some which are heartbreaking. But I think that, you know, one of the rocks that I painted is we are all just walking each other home and it's life's not easy and none of us gets a free pass. And I feel like we can't control what happens, but we can definitely control the way that we view it. And I also want my daughters to realize that things aren't always going to work out, but the more positive you can be about it and the more um, just accepting it can allow you to be a stronger, better person. And so I think it's just, it's just who I am. I'm, in a, I'm a pathologic optimist. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, I'd never heard that before. You know, um, I, I want you to take your mind back for a moment, if you can, to the Camino de Santiago. What did you find most challenging? The days that I thought would be easy when I was, uh, you know, being my spreadsheet pilgrim <laughs> before I ever left, the days that I was like, oh, that's a 12-mile day or, you know, or that's going to be a tough day because that's like, oh, 30, 35 kilometers, you know, <laughs> that's just not the way it works. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> my hardest days were my shortest days and those longer days, for whatever reason, were some of my easiest and so I think that 
you, know, you can plan all you want. Things are just going to happen and you just have to roll with it. What did you find most rewarding? The conversations with other people and their willingness to be vulnerable and let you in and share their stories and just how people would kind of come and go and disappear and you think you'd never see them. And, you know, at the right time, they would just show up. And I know I've heard a lot of pilgrims talk about that. And I think for me, it was so reminiscent of my growing up. My dad was in the army and I was a, we call military brats in the U.S. So we moved around all the time, you know, every three years. And it was so reminiscent of my life being so nomadic. And I, I just really liked the unpredictability aspect and never knowing what the day was going to bring, but yet not being fearful of it, being so open and almost even very excited about what laid ahead. Tell us about walking into Santiago de Compostela. That's interesting. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel, and a friend had asked me before I left, and my answer was I'd feel this huge sense of accomplishment. And that's, I wasn't as emotional as I thought I was. Tom, my friend, had said, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, I'll bring Kleenex because I'm sure it'll be quite the moment (laughs) for you. And I think that it was a huge sense of accomplishment, and I love standing in the plaza seeing pilgrims enter from all the corners. I mean, what a beautiful design to see these people coming from every corner of the plaza to the center um, and being greeted by people we had met and then greeting other people the couple days later that we were there. But it wasn't this you know, very emotional gut-ranging, you know, gut-wrenching kind of thing. It, it was just really being proud and, and, and reflecting on what a beautiful experience it was. Yeah. It is lovely, isn't it, when you stand in the square and, and, then, and when you have finished and then later in the evening or later that day to come back, quite often you're walking through the square to go somewhere else and yeah. you see all the people coming and going. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's yeah. just so beautiful. Yeah. The, the cathedral is closed at the moment for, for, for restoration. Was it closed when you were there? It was. It was. I, I had a tough time because, when, you know, in the planning of being a spreadsheet pilgrim, <laughs> my first stop, I landed in Paris, and my first stop was to go to Notre Dame and, um, you know, pray there because that's something I had frequently done when I would go to Paris. And, of course, as you know, that there was a fire, I think, two weeks before I left, and so it was closed. And that was after, you know, I had found out that the Santiago Cathedral was closed, and I thought maybe I was jinxed. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know, it, it's, I have a jinx on me because everywhere I go, it's, everything is covered in scaffolding. <laughs> right? I went to Paris. That was the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. No scaffolding. Yeah, yeah that's right. They took the scaffolding down. But uh, that's why I've got to go back, you see. I have to get back to see mm-hmm. without the scaffolding. Uh, yeah. What's one word you would use to sum up the Camino de Santiago? Oh. Um, awareness. Oh. Would be my word. 
And one thing that is so powerful for me was my senses were so aware from the smell of dirt in the air in the morning when you'd start the the flowers, there were these yellow flowers that were everywhere in the beginning that had this just beautiful, almost coconut aroma. And um, the the food tasted so good. And I think maybe because of all the hiking, but I felt like my senses and my awareness of my surroundings and, and, and feelings were so much more intense than... I have ever experienced so much more than any day hike I had done. Yeah. And if your great-grandchildren listened to this, what would you say to them? To go do it. To go (laughs) do something like this where you get a break from your life and you can kind of inventory it and decide, you know, what the next year, five years is going to look like. So what does the next year and five years look like for you? Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I came back and I didn't make a lot of drastic changes, but I did kind of look at the things at work that I really feel valued for. And there's a lot of things that I've been doing because I've been doing them for 10 years. And I kind of handed those opportunities to other people who kind of need that in their life right now. I let go of the fear and that's really allowed me to not kind of ruminate over things and worry about things, it's really opened me up to new opportunities and, and other things that I, I think I've closed myself off from. Yeah, so I don't know what the next five years is going to be, but I know that I'm more open to all kinds of work opportunities, relationship opportunities, and just really enjoying this short period of time I have with my daughters before they go to college. You know, Dr. Nicole Taylor, it's easy for me to say yours is an inspirational story, but the essence of the story is your inspiration. We're here for such a short time playing the cards we're dealt. So I want to say thank you for having the courage and fortitude to try to make a difference to others' lives, despite the fact that you're trying to clear hurdles in your life. And I I want to finish by saying, walk on, pilgrim. And we're all walking alongside you. Thank you, Dan. This has been amazing to share my story. I can't tell you how much it means to us. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week, an American doctor, Nicole Taylor from Winston-Salem in North Carolina. I just like saying that. Winston-Salem in North Carolina. Nicole is battling multiple sclerosis, and rather than waiting for the disease to impact her life, she's chosen to make a difference in other people's lives. Nicole Taylor is incredible, a hero of sorts, a pilgrim. You can follow the work she does by searching Finish MS on Facebook. That's Finish MS. My desk calendar throws up quotes from time to time today. Nelson Mandela, who said, I'm not a saint unless you think of a saint as a sinner who keeps on trying. We all keep trying. We all keep sharing, listening, caring. It's what pilgrims do. Thanks for your company. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere.